Amen. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. We say good morning to each and every one of you as we prepare to go before God uh, by presenting his word today. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, we honor you and give you thanks for another great day that you prepared. God, we will continue to rejoice and be glad in it. We pray, God, that you continue to lead us by the presence and power of your spirit. Continue to speak to our hearts through your word. And God, we just pray that everything that is said today will give you honor in all areas of our lives, give you honor in all things that we do for you. God, we just pray that we lift up and magnify the, the thoughts that Jesus left with us in this word today so that we can receive them in our heart, God. We know some of these sins are hard today, God, but we pray that we get clarity and understanding of how important Jesus saw these things so that we can take them to our most parts. And God, I thank you for what you're going to do today in Jesus' name. Amen. Our statement of faith, this is my Bible. It is the word of truth. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can. I'm a believer and not a doubter. I'm a doer and not just a hearer. I am humble before the Lord. I'm obedient to the Lord. I am mature in the Lord. I'm enthusiastic about the Lord. I know that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. Amen. The scripture is found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 27 and 28. That's Matthew chapter 7, verse 27 and 28. And the word of God says this. And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sins, the people were astonished. Somebody say astonished. They were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority. Someone say authority. So he taught them as one having authority. And we're going to see him use that authority today and not as the scribes. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, we thank God for each and every one of you that's here. We thank God for those of you who are online today for taking time out of your morning to be with us. And I pray that uh, the word of God reveals some truths to you on today. Amen. Well, this is going to be our second sermon in the series that we've simply entitled, uh, Astonished at His Teaching. Now, the word astonished, I said, means to strike with uh, amazement, to throw into wonderment, to shock, confound, or perplex. It is also means to cause to marvel. Now, our text scripture is the clothing, I said, of Jesus' powerful sermon on the mount. The sermon, Jesus, the sermon that Jesus preached to his disciples and, to, and the multitudes followed after he had done some miraculous things, and there were many people following him from various regions. There were people that was there from Jerusalem, Judea, Galilee, the capitals, and the region beyond the Jordan. So when Jesus was teaching, he was teaching to a mixed multitude. Somebody said mixed multitude. He was teaching to a mixed multitude. Some were on the fringe, some were leaning toward him, and others were committed to him. And in this sermon, sometimes Jesus used poetic language. We saw that last week. Then he used metaphoric language, and sometimes he used hyperbolic language to create a strong impression or to invoke strong feelings to make his point. So today he's going to invoke some strong feelings based upon some of the things he taught these people. And then when we see that, it caused us to be amazed or astonished at some of the things that he is teaching. Amen? Now, one of the hallmarks of the Sermon on the Mount is the way Jesus reinterprets scriptures and applies some key uh, uh, teaching uh, that is different from the Mosaic law. And we're going to see that today because he used the phrase, you have heard it said, but I say. So when he used that, he's exercising his authority to say, I have the right to amend some of the things that you have been taught. And see, the sermon challenged the teaching of the proud and legalistic religious leaders of the day. Because in the sermon, Jesus stressed his demands for his disciples, uh, and he issued a call for them to demonstrate true righteousness of the heart, that which the law cannot produce. And so this sermon served as a standard which disciples should strive to live up to as we live for him in the earth. Amen? Now, last week we looked at the sermon. Most of you that was on with us last week remember that the crux of that sermon was about the Beatitudes. Y'all remember those? And in those Beatitudes, he talked in very poetic language, and he was giving us the idea of values and characters of citizens of heaven. And so in those Beatitudes, there were certain things that we were to do, and in response, 
we will be blessed and God will be pleased. And we saw Jesus use metaphoric language to describe the influence and witness his disciples should have in the earth when he described us as being salt and light. And we close with Jesus' warning that if our righteousness is not better than the righteousness of the religious leaders of his day, then we would not enter the kingdom of heaven. Amen? So go to Matthew chapter 5 now, verse 21 through 26. Today we begin with Jesus teaching uh, on anger to illustrate this new level of righteousness. Somebody say new level. He was trying to take them to a new level of righteousness. And, and, and we introduced that last week when he was dealing with the Pharisees. But today he's going to illustrate just how deep and how attached to this word you're going to have to be to accept this new level of righteousness. Amen? Amen. See, see, what he's going to illustrate today is that a lot of our problems start in our heart. And what's in our heart can lead us to do things that's not going to please God and could hurt other people. And so what he wants us to do is say, look, most of the time we judge a situation after the act has been done. Jesus said we got to start judging things while that act is in your head. He's not going to wait till you go out and commit adultery to call you an adulterer. He's going to call you an adulterer when you get the thought in your head. That's hard to understand because you say, well, I ain't did nothing yet. But in his mind, you have. And so what he see that we don't always see is that a lot of things that we do start in our that's why the Bible talks about as a man or a person thinks in his so is well, they're not talking about the thing that pump blood. They're talking about the thing that control your actions and your intents. So Jesus, they, they work hand in hand. The center of your being, along with your mind, is critical to how you act and how you respond. And Jesus said, if you can't take captive certain thoughts to come in your head, in your mind, you're going to carry out some acts. And then you want to say, you only want to be judged after the act. But Jesus said, I'm judging you while you were. Y'all ready for this today? Because this is a new level of righteousness. I think if we had believed in this new level of righteousness, that a lot of folk would be still living today. That a lot of people would be better off if they had understood this level of righteousness that Jesus was trying to get us to see. In verse 21, he says this, You have heard that our ancestors were told, You must not murder. Yeah, thou shalt not kill. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. In other words, you kill somebody, you go into court, they're going to judge you in the penalty, maybe death, maybe life in prison, maybe whatever, whatever. But Jesus said, I ain't going to even wait till you get the court clip. I'm not going to let the system judge you after you done did it. I'm going to try to stop you before you do it by telling you I'm judging your, your heart. Look at this. He says, but I say to you, if you are even angry with someone, if you are even what? You get mad at folk. Before you even care about that act that got you, you to the point where you are so angry that you want to do something, before you even carry it out, Jesus said, but I say to you, if you are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Wow. It's just in your heart. But Jesus understand that when anger get on the inside of you and bitterness get on the inside of you, rage get on the inside of you, and all those things build up, then you're going to hurt somebody. You're going to do something. So he's saying what we got to do as Christians, we got to catch this stuff while it's in our That's why he says, you know, if, if you got a pure heart, last week, what did it say? It, blessed are those who have a pure heart because they shall... Anger is going to keep you from seeing. If you got anger in your heart, you're not going to see God like you ought to see God because you're going to be influenced by something other than God. He says, now look, this thing even goes not just to killing folk. He said, but if you call someone an idiot, <laughs> just call them anything out their name. 
You know they mama named them this and you just going to call them that. You're in danger of being brought before the courts. And if you curse someone, now we ain't talking about, you know, but we shouldn't do that either. You know, we were brought up cursing folks. We didn't know no better. We was ignorant. We didn't know that when we was out there cursing folks out and calling folks names, we were in danger of the fires of hell. Our mouth and what was in our heart, Cliff was on the verge of sending us to I know they had the shots of what? We can go to hell just for calling money? Yeah. You know, when I was a little boy, can I just be real for a moment? You know, when we was a little boy coming up in the hood, and I'm being kind of where we are today, white people had names for us. And then we, in turn, had names for them. But I ain't know no better. Because when they called me this, I had my, you know, my H word. You know, come back, call you that. Call, you know, we had some names like that. I didn't know that when I was doing that, God wasn't pleased. I could have been on my way to. And we ain't even got to talk about it. white folks and race. We can talk about how we talk about each other. He said, when you start calling people idiots and stupid and all that, you're in danger of being brought before the court because you're slandering someone. You just can't say anything and everything about folk and think God's going to be pleased with you. But if it's in your heart and you don't capture that thought that's in your heart, Cliff, it's going to come out your... Let me read 23 and 24. Now, do you know this deep when Jesus said this? If you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, you're in striving on Sunday morning worshiping, because that's what he's talking about. You come in the temple to worship. You're in the middle of the worship service. You know, God favored me. Trying to offer up your best praise. And you know you're mad at somebody. God said, you need to stop saying Go get it right. You're in the middle of giving your tithe and your offering. He said, don't even lay it at the altar. You know, some preachers, they're going to want y'all to know that. Because they, they, they want you to tithe off, then you're going to get it right. But he said, no, you leave your gift. You go get it right before you give your gift. Because if your heart is not right, and he said if your heart is pure, you can see God, then if your heart ain't right, you ain't even seeing God, even though you're leaving your money at the... I mean, right now, some of y'all got some issues with some people in your heart. We'll take a 30-second text break. Get it right before we get to the offering. Those of you online, I know you got some issues with some people in your heart. Before you hit the press button on, you know, PayPal and all that, get it right. I'm just saying what Jesus said. Now, that's going to astonish some folks. You mean Pastor and Tola, we ain't got to give our offering until we give our heart right. <laughs> he just said it. Get it right. Well, look here, I think I'm going to opt on keeping my offering. And you're going to hell. Because Jesus just said you're in danger of going to hell if you don't know how to get your attitude and your heart right. This thing is serious. I can imagine some of these people were amazed. So he said, if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, just take a pause to just think right now. If you just think for a minute, the Holy Spirit will show you. you let's show them to you. Let's show them to you. you no, know, they got all against you. You got all against them. Just go and take out the phone. Send them a text. Tell them you love them. You forgive them. You're sorry, whatever it takes. We ought to be able to sit down. Let's go to lunch after church and get this thing right. Because Jesus said, if we want to be in his kingdom, we got to live by a higher standard of righteousness. It's getting quiet right here. I can imagine that's what it was like when Jesus was preaching this. That crowd got real quiet. Because they mind, they thought, until I do the act, I'm okay. Jesus done put me on a guilt trip, and I'm just thinking about it. He said, leave your sacrifice at the altar and go and be reconciled with that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. And look at this. When you are on your way to court with your adversary, you're upset about something with somebody, settle your differences quickly 
In other words, in the Roman system, normally when the people are on the way to court, you know, the, 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 the defendant and the person that's the accuser, the plaintiff, they be walking together to court. And he's saying that, look, if me and Cliff got an odds against each other, if me and Cliff can get it together before we get before the judge, the judge would accept whatever we agree to. But if me and Cliff determine that we're just going to go in there and fight it out, then the lawyer's going to get rich and one of us going to jail. See, I tell people this all the time, and I know divorce comes here in a minute, but people get divorced, so that's a real issue. I say, you know what? If you just determine, if, I mean, if something happened that you got justification to get divorced, then do it peaceably. Before you go to, to the court, sit down and decide who wants the house, who wants the car, who wants this, who wants that. Because if you don't decide it amongst yourself, them lawyers going to get half of what you're trying to get. You can cut the lawyers out if you just sit down and say, baby, I just want the house. You can keep everything else. We split the bank account, and let's call it a day. Y'all write that little agreement up, get it notarized, take it down to the house and get it caught. You're good to go. But now, this mine, if we're going to do this, I'm going to get me a lawyer. Well, you go ahead and lawyer up there. You go ahead and lawyer up and see how, how you tailor our court system, and somebody's going to be angry after the lawyers get through. Jesus said, if you, if you got an issue on your way to court, settle it. So that if you lose, you don't already settle. But if the court find you guilty, then you got to do the time. I know that don't make sense to the natural man, because we, we just want to go and lawyer up real quick and just fight for it. And he's saying, look, some of these things ain't even got to get to court. Ah, y'all quiet right there. This is teaching. This ain't preaching. I, I, I tried to find a shout in here somewhere. I mean, I really tried, Cliff. I tried at the end of this message. I tried hard to just find, give me a shout, Jesus, somewhere. Somewhere where I could get my dance on. But man, Jesus was hitting hard. I tried. I don't, I don't think y'all gonna get no shout here either in a minute. He says, Settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, verse 25, your average accuser may, may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. In other words, in that system over there, you know, if you had debt to pay off, you'd be put in prison. If you didn't have the money, you stay in there until you work it off. I know when I was stationed in Turkey back in the early 70s, I didn't understand that. They had these places where people were in prison, and the only reason they were in prison because they didn't have no money. If they had had money, they could have got free. So they had to go to prison to work off their debt. And they did it in all kinds of crazy ways. So that's a field of some countries that operate like that. If you can't pay your debt, you go to prison. Then you make enough money in prison or whatever you're doing, you pay your debt. But he's saying, look, if we use some sense and don't get angry, we may be able to solve this before we go to Man, Jesus was saying some stuff, and I know these folks didn't want to hear that. But again, he was teaching a new level of righteousness. Amen? Don't get too quiet on me right there. I'm going to try to, I can't, be, I can't get you no happy right here either through 27 through 30, because the next thing he talked about is how he see adultery. Somebody say adultery. Now look at this. He said in verse 27, you have heard the commandment that said you must not commit adultery. I think all of us have heard that one, right? You know, all of us who are married, we, we heard that before we got married. We even knew when we got married, you know, we took our vow. We said we were going to be faithful to one another and all that. We knew that. But some folks did when I didn't did a clip. They knew that. They even some church folk. They knew that. Went right on out there and did it. So Jesus said, you done heard the say, you shall not commit adultery. But I say, Anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery in his. Man, you don't slept with her in your. So it looked like to me that, you know, mental adultery is just as bad as physical. Can I get an amen right there? <laughs> I mean, Come on, give me an amen or something. I mean, I thought somebody would say amen, Pastor. You're right about that. Y'all, just amen, but you, you agree with Jesus. You ain't agreeing with me. You agree with him. He said, brother, if you look at her like that. Now, today, it ain't just the brothers looking. Sisters look, too. 
Amen. So we got to put this in today's culture. Sister, if you look at him like that and you know you married to Joe Blow over there and he ain't, you ain't happy with him, but he ain't did nothing for you to divorce him, and all of a sudden you're looking at John Henry like that with your eyes, like on John Henry, Jesus said, look here. You know, stripped him down. Sin. 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 <laughs> we got to talk about sin. I can't get around the young people. Y'all just got to bear with me. Jesus talked about sin. He said, look, and this sin start in your mind. It ain't the physical act. Jesus said, that's why we got so many people out there on them sites now dealing with porn in their mind. Because their mind is mentally committing adultery. So Jesus said, look, this thing's happened already because you've done it in your heart, which is your mind. As a man thinks it's in his heart, so is he. Now Jesus used this hyperbolic language here figuratively because I don't think he meant this literally, Cliff, because if he meant this literally, there'd be a lot of blind folk in the church. Or people walk around with patches. I'm just trying to soften this up because Jesus, I'm pretty sure they weren't laughing when Jesus said this, you know. But I'm trying to make y'all laugh because it's a truth that we got to accept and we don't always want to accept the truth. Jesus said this thing is so serious that if your eye, even your good eye, Cliff, <laughs> I had to think about that for a reason. Jesus said, right now, he said, your good eye. And I had to start thinking about my glass in my eye. And what I did, I covered one of my eyes and see what I could read with it. And then I realized I got a good eye and I got a bad eye. <laughs> and Jesus said, Keisha, I want your. Man, he said, look, if your good eye going to cause you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. Now, ain't none of y'all taking Jesus up on that one right there. Amen. So let's agree that Jesus was talking figuratively for shock effect. He was trying to shock them with these words, but he was trying to teach them how serious that, that sin is. That he said, look, if you really take this like I'm trying to give it to you, you understand that it's better for you to give up your eye and get into the kingdom of God than to go in with both eyes and go to hell. It is better for you to lose part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, well, I, that was easy for me. I know what my strong hand is. I'm left-handed. I do pretty much everything with my left hand. You know, right now, as I get older, they say to keep your mind sharp, I need to start doing some things with my right hand. So every now and then, I try to, you know, eat with my right hand. Take too long. I ain't, got, I ain't got that kind of time. I mean, trying to eat now, six, seven years old, all of a sudden I'm trying to train my brain to make this my dominant hand. You know, about five minutes of that thing, I say, man, look here. I'm going to just go ahead and take my chance, and maybe I'll read or do a suku, sudoku or something like that to help me out. But right now, trying to eat with my, I'm saying, now it just takes too long. But Cliff, I got to work on it. But Jesus said, look here. If it's your stronger hand that caused you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into. Wow. That's some serious teaching there. That's somebody with authority could say that. Anybody just couldn't say that. Anybody couldn't say, you done heard it said before, but I say to you. I'm finna change some things. I'm finna redirect and, 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 and reinterpret some things that you have been interpreting the wrong way. So Jesus said, look, your heart is so important that you can't allow your heart and your mind to get you in trouble. And if you take captive, the Bible tells us, take captive every thought and bring it into the subjection of Jesus Christ. So the Bible ain't got a problem, Cliff, with you getting a thought. You got a problem when you let that thought stay in your head and you start meditating on that thought and then your flesh want to carry that thought so we got the ability to take captive any thought that come in our mind. You ain't got to curse somebody out because you're angry. You don't supposed to get angry anyway. So even though you got cursing in your own nature, you can take that thought captive and don't have to, you don't have to say it. 
I mean, God, I, I'm just trying to be real, real, but sometimes when I try to be real, real in this stuff like this, it may be offensive to some folks, and I don't want to offend nobody on a Sunday morning because Jesus is talking about a real issue here. There are church folks out there that are still committing a go to church every Sunday. Preachers committing a having mental affairs with folk online. And then the records come up, like Ernestine said, somebody got a receipt. I mean, you just can't talk to your parishioner in any kind of way and use certain language and on, in your heart, and chances are you can carry that out as But just because Jesus make the standards high does not mean that the church or the believers are going to live up to his standard. And the sad thing is somebody ain't going to even... Whew. Jesus, I know how you felt when you was right here. Because you were dealing with their flesh right here. And you know, we don't like for him to deal with our flesh. Our flesh don't want to be punished. You know, you know. Sometimes, you know, flesh love adultery, fornication. Especially if flesh don't believe that's no hell. You know, if flesh don't believe that's no hell, don't believe you're gonna go nowhere there. Flesh just go for it. Keisha, they just do them apart from Jesus. But Jesus said, you can't just do you. I know the world tells you, Finley, just do you. Yeah, you got to do you in accordance with, with the word. Amen. And God ain't got no problem with us doing us because we can do us and glorify him at the same. So now Jesus teaching this, and the reason he got to talk about this uh, uh, adultery and, and all this other stuff is because some of these religious leaders were doing it. That's why he addressed this like this, because folk were doing it. So this next one that caused a lot of problems is his teaching on divorce. Now here we see that God intended for marriage to be a lifetime commitment. Brother JP, how long y'all been married? Sixty-seven years to the same person. In October. So we got a living witness that it can be. Some folks just don't want to get their heart right to do it. But it can be done. You can live with the same man or the same woman all the days of your. You don't have to get a divorce. And Jesus made the rules very thin for divorce. He says, unless there's some infidelity there, somebody committed adultery then in their mind, you know, because they cared to act out, now you know about it, then you got ground to go and divorce them. But man, that was the only thing he just kind of clearly said. Everything else that we use for divorce, we just kind of made it up as we went. I just ain't feeling him no more. He getting on my nerve. I mean, he, he walk in the house, don't even speak to me no more, ain't bought me no flowers in a long time. Look here, I can do bad all by myself. I just need to get out of this thing here. You know, I'm going to get me an upgrade. That there's somebody, there's somebody out there treat me better. I'm going to just go and get me an upgrade. Then the court system will let you go and get your upgrade. Kick him to the side. And that's what these guys were doing when Jesus confronted me in a few minutes. They were out there getting upgrades. And they were just, they just get mad. She don't even cook good no more. I'm going to go and write her a letter of divorce, man, so we can get this over with. And let me go find somebody that can cook. They were using all kinds of reasons. And Jesus was saying, man, the, God never intended for it to be that easy. Because he saw this as a lifelong commitment. Now, let me say this. If you're going to be divorced, and you got divorced and there was no fornication or anything like that in it, then based upon what Jesus is going to teach you and say in a minute, you sin. Period. Doc one said, hey, what is your thoughts about this marriage thing? You know, is it all right to divorce? Or when can they divorce? You know, the religious person asked him this. So my research says that there was two schools of thoughts out there. There was a guy named Halil, I guess a big rabbi, and the Shemiah. One school said, hey, you've got to live with the fact that unless faithfulness has been violated, you've got to stay married. 
The other school said, hey, for any reason, if you want to, go ahead and write the decree. Because Moses allowed you to write it, you just go ahead and write it. As long as you write it. Some say the reason Moses put that in the right to decree is to protect the woman. Because if they didn't put nothing in writing because the woman was looked at as property, they would have just kicked out and didn't give her nothing. But the decree was a settlement to say, even though you're going to kick me out, bruh, and I ain't got no recourse, at least you're going to give me something before you put me on the street. It looked like there was some ruthless dude back then that they got to they write a law, Cliff. Because if they don't write a law to say you can't do it, these were some ruthless people. They were God's people. These weren't the heathen nation. They were Jews. And so they asked Jesus a question and tried to get him, entrap him. And now one of their answers was better than the other, but Jesus did not choose side. He chose scripture. He said, I'm going to let the scripture do the talking. Then you can decide where you want to fall on this issue, but I'm going to let the scripture do the talking. Can the scripture talk right now? Y'all, in, in, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 3, it says, some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? And I'm pretty sure some of them rascals like this is it. I hope he say yeah. I hope he say yeah, man. All I need is justification. If he say yes, I'm ready to go because I already got her picked out in my head. I done seen her, been talking to her. You know, we got this mental thing going. But the minute he say yes, I'm going to drop these paper. Bam! You know, as a, as a pastor and who have kind of counseled people and went to seeing people go through some things in this area, I'm amazed at how easy it is now to get a divorce. In the state of Florida, if you ain't going to do too much fussing and fighting, you can be through in about 30 days. Go down and get you a little package, $450, cut your lawyers out, sit down and fill it all out, then go back and before the clerk of court and go to the judge, you can probably be done. We just have made it easy. Now, if you're dumb and you want to fight, then that, yeah, it's longer. But it used to be time 30. I was amazed when I found out 30 days you can be through. So I can imagine these guys saying, Jesus, just give us the rest. We're ready. Just set us off. Let us go. Because we want to upgrade, but right now we're waiting on you. We're going to seek and we trap you into agreeing with us so we can have justification for what we already want to. If they had to ask this question, Cliff, they already had something in their mind. I heard you talk about men asking questions they don't normally ask questions unless they got a reason for asking questions this morning. Look at this. He says now, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Then Jesus come back and said this, haven't you read the scriptures? See, somebody asks you questions sometimes and they ain't even read the Bible. If they read the Bible, they may not have to ask you the question. But just in case they don't read the Bible, you need to know enough about the Bible to say what the Bible says when they ask you a question. You know, it's all right to add your opinion on something, but base your opinion on what you done read. So Jesus said, now look, haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied. Look at this. They record the scriptures that from the beginning, somebody say from the beginning, God made them male and female. From the, even before Moses wrote Deuteronomy, from the, when you go back to Genesis chapter 2, from the, he made them male and he made them. Now get this, this is, this is the thing you got to understand. He didn't use but one mound of dirt. From that mound of dirt, he formed Adam, man. Then when he found out man needed some help, if God had been just thinking like we think in our culture, he should have just went and got him another amount of dirt so we can cut down all this foolishness, what authority in the family and what the role is of this. Just God get you another amount of dirt so we can cut down something. No. He said, Adam, brother, look here. You got to go sleep. Because what I want to create next is going to come out of 
So now from that same mound of dirt, he brought forth woe, man, not man. And what make her woe, man, because she got eggs. Man don't. And then he says, now in order for us to do things what I want to see done, I'm going to say, man, you go get woe, man, and then now y'all solve this mystery of coming back together in this spirit of oneness. Because in the beginning, you are already in him. So marriage bring you back to the place that God intended for man and woman to. God intended it that way, but culture has rewrote what God intended, and now we just got all kinds of issues going on. And cultural laws sometimes will conflict with. So he says this now. From the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two are united into one flesh. The man leaves and then he starts cleaving cliff to one woman. God never intended this polygamy thing to run rampant. But some of his folk did it. You know, Jacob did it. David did it. Solomon did it. They messed up God's plan. But because they messed up God's plan, don't mean God changed the plan. Because Jesus could have easily went back and said, well, you know, let me rewrite what God intended in the beginning because David messed it up. Solomon messed it up. You know, Israel messed it up. He had two wives and two concubines, got 12 boys bound. But look here, he messed it up. But God said, my plan is still that a man and a woman make a union that I call marriage. Now, we got people that got five or six wives. and They say that worked for them. They can't say God told them to do it. Because Jesus could have said, you know, I know what Moses read, and I want to admit that, and say, you know what, Moses was right. Since y'all want to upgrade, y'all just upgrade. You just got to keep the old model, too. You can upgrade. You just go on upgrade, just go on upgrade, just upgrade. Then now you keep the old model, and you want to upgrade five times, you just keep upgrading. And in, in this country, we got people that keep upgrading. Amen. But because we got folk who upgrade, don't make it right. Because in the beginning, God had a plan that he ordained how this thing was supposed to work. So they're supposed to be united as one. Look at this. The man leave, cleave to the wife. I know we don't reverse that script today. Later, y'all leaving and cleaving. Y'all hunting them down. That ain't right. You ain't supposed to hunt him down. The lion's supposed to hunt you down. When you start hunting them down, you're getting things out of order. But you, if you fight him like that and you're hunting them down and it's working for you, all power to you. Pray to God and let it keep working. But that ain't what God intended. The man leaving mom and daddy, and sometimes, brother, we don't want to leave mom and daddy. We don't want to leave mama. We want to hold on to mom and wife, too. You got to leave mama. If you want your marriage to be successful, you got to leave mama. There be no mama's boy and a husband at the same time. Not if your mama takes precedence over your wife. And ladies, let me tell you this. While he cleaving to you, I'm going to add one more thing from boldenism. Make sure he working. Say, brother, you got to be leaving, cleaving, and working. You can't come in here looking for a job. You're going to have to have one when you find me. I ain't betting on the calm that you're going to go out there and finish your degree. You're going to get this and going to get that. No, buddy, you get that before we get this thing hooked up. So, ladies, I'm telling you, put on patience. Wait till some evidence show up that the boy going to get a job and he done got a pay stub. But he said he's going to find a job next week. Well, he know you got a degree. He know you got three degrees. And you got a good job. 
And in his mind, you'll make enough to take care of y'all. Now he's sitting at home, and you going out there working, and that rascal still ain't cooking. At least if you go do all the work and make that rascal cook. See, Jesus didn't have time to break it down like that, but I know how our culture is, what's going on, so I got to just kind of add this right in here. Because Jesus said the way this thing's supposed to work is the man's supposed to leave father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two become one. Now look at this, verse 7. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. Look here, Jesus, you're talking all that noise. Well, why Moses said in the law? Why did Moses go against what was said in the beginning in the law? Then Jesus said, look, man, Moses got tired of y'all. Y'all wore him down. I mean, his heart was on God at first, but y'all wore him down. You know, every now and then, church, people can wear pastor down. He done said this and done said that, and some people just wear him down. Say, I thought it was like that in the beginning, and all of a sudden now, what did happen? They wore him down. Don't mean God changed something that they wore him. <laughs> Y'all don't hear that. Can you give an example? Can you give some specific? No. But look what he says. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard heart. See, if your heart had been right, you wouldn't even be coming to me about divorcing. But since your heart is not right, Moses got tired of y'all coming. Y'all got tired of dealing with y'all. Every day he's dealing with a divorce case. Every day, every day, every day. Shouldn't he get mad? I want a divorce. What you going to do, Moses? Look at me. I'm tired of dealing with this. If you want to, just write a nice divorce decree and y'all can call it a day. Now, because Moses did that, don't mean God agreed with it. But because he gave man free will, they was living by what Moses said. Even though God had said something entirely. Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. But it was not what God had originally intended. I submit to you that we're probably doing some things in America, in our culture, in our families, that God never intended. But because we were persistent and persistent and wanted to do it, wanted to do it, then he just got out of the way and let us. Never intended you to do that. But since you insisted on doing it, I'm going to let you do it. But just because I allow you to do it, Cliff, don't mean I changed my original plan and intent. So sometimes I think we think that because God allows certain things to happen in our culture, that he doesn't change his intent. Never change his intent. He just allowed us to go against his intent, and he hadn't wiped us out. Let me go on and finish this. Verse 9, and Jesus said, I tell you this. He go back now and hit hard of what he had already said earlier. Whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery. How many of you know adultery is sin? Okay, okay. I just want to agree that we, because some people may, you know, they justify it. Now, they, you know, they, they got sex acts out there now that ain't even just man and woman. It's five or six folk. And then now they got folk getting married, and they, can, they got freedom now. They got free marriage. I don't know what they call it. You marry one person, but every Friday you can go out with somebody else if you want to. We got an open marriage, I guess, because we open. We open. We don't want to get divorced, but we don't like each other like that. So we open. For the children's sake, we open. So when the children come up and say, Dad, where mom at? Uh, she out being open. <laughs> Mama, where daddy? He out being open. That's crazy. Don't that sound crazy? Folk doing it. And then some church boy, well, you know, they just got to do them. Who cares? As long as they ain't hurting nobody. What? They just don't see the results of that openness. Ah, Lord. 
Let me go and finish this. I knew this was going to be tough. Like I said, I wanted to skip this part. He says, now look, so Jesus stick to his truth, to his word. So if you do that and you divorce and, re, and, and, and marry someone else, you commit adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. So Jesus didn't even sta- change that. He said, only, only, only out I'm giving you is unfaithfulness. That's the only out I'm giving you. If you can't prove unfaithfulness, then look, Brother JP, we got to be there six, seven years trying to make this thing work. Now, I know the date. Look, let me be honest with you. When I counsel people and they come to me and I get behind the curtain and see that you married to somebody that's beating you down there Friday out there and drunk too much and ain't taking care of their being around how, then, you know, I kind of tell you, look here, if you my daughter, you got to love them at a distance. If you don't want to divorce, you, ain't, you shouldn't subject yourself to no beat down every Friday and say, well, you know, Jesus said, unless there's unfaith. Now, I don't think Jesus wants you to get brutalized just because he didn't get further to say. I think he would come back today and say, honey, you my child. I don't want that dude beating you down like that. So until his heart changed, you need to put some distance between you. I ain't know that old school in the old days. Honey, you just stay with him. I used to hear my old sister tell him, just stay with him, just stay with him. He's going to come out of it all right. He's going to be all right. No, he ain't going to come out of beating on me like that. No, I'm getting up out of here. But the old folks stayed, stuck it out. They went through that foolishness. Now, some of them did all right in the end. Some of their husbands changed and became good men. But you know, today, sisters ain't going to give you that many times. I mean, they, they ready. The ink is ready. You hit them one time, they're going to say, look here, I'm gone. And I guess some brothers too, because sisters fight not to. I mean, back, back then, some of y'all look like y'all can knock a brother out. I mean, I mean, look like he get out, he cross you the wrong way. Look like some of y'all can put some hot grits on him. That's the only way we can take medicine like this. You got to laugh, man, because Jesus was, Jesus was serious. And look at this. Jesus was so serious that his disciples started thinking, man. Jesus, you think, you think the Pharisees thinking. After he said, I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. Then look what, in verse 10, Jesus' disciple then said to him, in this case, it is better not to get married. <laughs> and that thing threw me off. Why would the disciples, they were folk that following him, why would they say, well, Jesus, based upon that criteria you just gave right there, it's better for us not to get married. Now, some people tie that to being taken a vow of celibacy. If you, get, if you want to be a man of God, of the cloth, and you don't want to get married, that's what some priests do. But that ain't what Jesus was saying, but you can do that. But Jesus was letting them know that this thing of marriage is so serious that you just don't enter into it lightly. And so these guys were thinking like some of the Pharisees, because, you know, they were was, they was just regular Jews, too. They were under that teaching. So they were thinking, okay, Jesus, you just told me I'm married to her, and she nagging me every day, in and out, in and out, but she ain't committing adultery. She ain't fornicating. She ain't did nothing. She just nagging me. Every time I come in for fishing, she nagging me. Every time I come in from work, she nagging me. Every time I go to the gym and come back home, she nagging me. I'm out there working on the car, and she, I mean, just nagging me, Jesus. She just nagging me, nagging me. And you said, because she ain't committed fornication or adultery, I got to stay with her? The boy said, look here, I'd rather opt out before I get in. I ain't finna go and let her nag me all the days of my life, then maybe it's better for me to just opt out and not go in. I'm here to tell you, don't run away from the nagging. It just comes with the territory. It just comes with the territory. You know that going in. That every now and then, she gonna nag you. You just gonna have to learn how to respond quicker to what she asking you to do. The nagging is something that come about because you ain't did something. <laughs> you, you done been doing the same thing over and over. And she said, you got to pick that up. You got to do this. You got to do that. And then all of a sudden, now, she just nagging me. Just nagging me. Jesus, what should I do? She just nagged me. Deal with it. You went out and searched for her and found her. Now deal with it. 
Y'all thought Pat was going say, well, you know, you can't go down there and get you one of them 30-day jobs. You know, divorce, gone, call it a day, and gone upgrade. No, Pastor ain't telling you that. I'm telling you, you got to stick it out. If you, how many of you here have never been divorced, married to the same person all the time? Okay. And I'm pretty sure if I was to get side by side, talk to some of y'all, I'm pretty sure all of y'all have had challenges in your marriage. At some point in time, there were some challenges. For whatever reason, disagreement on this, on money, or something else, da da da, you had to challenge. But some made you stick it out. And as you sticked it out, now that you're 30 years in, 40 years in, you hey man, I got too much invested now. I just can't walk away from the investment. And I love her on top of that. In spite of the investment, Love going to keep me here, but I do look at my investment. <laughs> I mean, can we look at our investment? And so what I'm trying to say, ain't nothing wrong with that long as they keep you to, t- together. Because it's not going to be easy married to another imperfect person. You're not perfect, she's not perfect, but it's the word of God that will perfect you guys' relationship. And you've got to try to stand on that word of God and not all these folk on TV, these new age folk who got all these ideas about marriage, writing all these books on marriage, and they done been divorced five times. How are you going to read a book by somebody who done been divorced five times? Can't keep a husband. Now she's going to tell you how to keep one or how to leave one. <laughs> Girl, when you get ready to go, this is what you need to start lining up. Get this lined up, checklist on one, got to do this, got to do this. So when y'all get to the court, you know, Talk about all the times how he yelled at the kids. You know, he done mentally messed up your kids. Your kids the way they are because he yelled at them all that time. When if you're that sick and want to get divorced, come into an agreement before you have to put all your laundry in the court system. Brother JP, haven't you just said that? Somebody wrote a record says, Chiefer? That came out of a man who been married 67 years. Keisha, I know that go against everything that's in your spirit. <laughs> but, that, but we're not debating that right now. Brother JP just said. <laughs> but somebody wrote a song. <laughs> man, when I look at some of them settlements, them, you know, Bezos' wife just got some uh, billions. But I guess when you got billions, you don't care. You just want some freedom. You want to upgrade. <laughs> but, but if you ain't have billions, it would be just, let's say, just, can we work this thing out? But this dilemma was so big that even the disciples said, man, maybe it's better. Now, I had to research that because some people use this to say if you follow God as a disciple or minister of God, you shouldn't be married. Some people do believe that. But I don't think Jesus was telling people, because Paul said, you know, it's better to marry than to burn. If you can't control you, you need to get married. However, there are some people who have, God has blessed them to be that way and can stay single and, and, and preach the word and minister to people, then they, they don't have to get married. But the Bible let me know Jesus' chief follower was married. Peter had a mother-in-law that got sick. Now, Jesus wasn't married. Paul don't look like he was married but he hung around some folks who were. So if you want to serve God and stay unmarried, that's great. But make sure your flesh is in check. Because marriage does satisfy flesh issues. Let me read on. After he said this, Jesus says these words here, man, I'm so glad he put it here. He says, not everyone can accept this statement. Only those who God helps. Every man can't handle being without a wife or a woman all the days of their life. So if you can't accept that, go get married and serve the Lord. Don't try to serve the Lord in accord with that statement and you know you ain't got you in check because you're going to mess up the kingdom. Then I don't know why Jesus threw this example here by eunuchs, man, because that was hard for me to wrap my mind around this, and I'm, I'm trying to think, why, Jesus, why do you even have to mention eunuchs and all this, man? Come on. But, but I guess for shock value, Jesus may want to get their attention. He says, 
when it comes to making that decision whether or not you should get married, because part of getting married is about recreating, appropriating what they say, supposedly. But you don't have to, but that's one of the reasons, you know, Adam and Eve had to replenish the earth. And so now look at this. Some are born as eunuchs. That means men who are born and don't have the capability to have children. So they, you know, they want to stay unmarried. They, that's okay. Some have been made eunuchs by others. In other words, during that time, they would castrate men for whatever reason. A lot of time when you read in the Old Testament, a lot of the chamberlains who was in the king's harem and working with the women in the harem, they were castrated so they can keep their passion in check because the king didn't want them running through his harem. Ain't no job that important, Latham. <laughs> ain't no job. I mean, ain't no job that important. I don't know how the brother took that job. Ain't no job that important. I mean, come on, but, but some, some of them had that job. And Jesus, these are Jesus' words, they read. And then he says, some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Some, not all. Then he says, let anyone accept this who can. So he let me know everybody can't accept what he just said. But if you can accept it, go out and be a monk, a priest, whatever. If that's what you want to do. But if you can't accept it, get married. That's all he was telling the disciples. If you can't accept this, get married. But if you can, go take a vow of celibacy and live that way and serve God that way. But then if you chose one or the other, don't knock one guy or the next person because they made a choice that was best suited for them. Amen? And so when we look at this, I hope you get out of all this today and trying to liven this up a little bit. Man, we got to teach the generation that's coming behind us how important marriage is. We can't minimize marriage. And we, and we can't buy into this philosophy that, hey, you know, uh, if we don't get married, then we ain't got to fight our way out of the divorce. We just live together. You know, cohabitate. Cat. That, that's the old town term. Somebody's going to have to help me with what they call it nowadays when, you know, you just get married. And in and, and our day, you did it for so long, they just call you common law. They just assume you're married because you're doing everything married folks do. So they just assume after seven years, they're going to treat you like a wife or a husband. But God is saying, hey, man, just go on and do it his way and be pleasing to him. That's all he's saying. And as we do that, we got to encourage the next generation to do it God's way. Don't buy into all the stuff that you see on television, they pushing now, that, hey, man, you ain't got to get married. That's a, that's a church thing. No, it is a church thing. It's a God thing for Christians, that's for sure. But even in our society, civil society still require you to get married if you want to. They, they, they make provision for that. So I want to encourage people, man, get married. You stop playing the field all your life. You can't say you love her and then you don't want to marry her, but you want to have options out there. And if you her and you let him play you with them options, you out your mind. You don't feel too good about who you are. You don't know your value and your worth in the sight of God. You'll let some rascal come in there and play you like that? And you know he got baby mamas all over town? And he done parked at your house? You need to call Pastor Bo. I can give you some advice what you can do for that rascal. Amen. Because that is not God's best for you. And I know in our society now, we don't look at things from God's point of view. And I think that that's why we have so much chaos and confusion, especially in our communities, for various reasons. I ain't going to get into why our community is the way it is, but I do think the church can stop teaching the truth of God's word to some of our people because they're afraid of what's going to backlash for telling the truth. I ain't got nothing to lose. I'm all in. I ain't got no other hand to play. This is the only hand I got to play, what Jesus said. And so when people don't like what Jesus said, I just got to take the consequences. And believe you stand on the word of God, in the end, truth will prevail. Amen?
I know it's tough lesson today. Now look here, so, so we can ease the blow as we go further. Y'all go and read ahead so y'all don't have to be shocked when I read next week. So y'all go ahead and read ahead so when he talks to you about turn the other cheek and not holding grudge, <laughs> y'all read ahead on that thing. So you can be working on that right now because I know this turn the other cheek thing ain't going to work with us. It ain't going to work. It, it was hard for me to buy into that one right there when he's talking about that. But I understand why he was saying it. And so y'all go ahead and read ahead and, and we'll get to some of the better things. But today was a tough one, amen? But it's real. And the word of God is relevant today just as it was back then. Amen? Every head bow and every eye close. I have several appeals for you. My first appeal is for salvation.